Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast, sponsored by the IBCA. We are a global podcast that shares the passion for the coaching profession. You will hear the stories of coaches from all around the world. We are covering the profession in-game, outside of the game, and anything in between. As always, thank you for listening. We look forward to sharing the coaches' stories with you. All right, on today's episode, we are back and we are very lucky to have Jose Fernandez, head women's basketball coach at the University of South Florida. Coach, first of all, how are you doing today? Thanks for jumping on with us. Well, thank you for having me. Doing great. Couldn't be better. Live on in Tampa, Florida. We got a little bit of rain as you saw in my background, but that's okay. Sun comes up 15 minutes after. We, we got we got some rain here in Chicago, too, so we're right there with you. Um, so we like to start every episode with the opening tip. Um, so kind of for your opening tip question, you know, we kind of just wanted you, you have a, a really unique journey. Um, we just kind of wanted you to kind of take our listeners through your journey and then kind of uh, give you the opportunity to kind of talk about South Florida women's basketball. Okay, well, you know, I, I graduated uh, 1989 from Southwest Miami High School. Um, my, uh, high school coach was, uh, one of my mentors and, uh, father figure, Tom Moore. He gave me my start, um, in the, in the business, introducing me to Cesar Odio at Miami Dade Community College. You know, Tom took me to my first final four along with my next door neighbor, Chuck Fieldson, who was the basketball coach at Miami Beach Senior High School and athletic director. And, you know, as a Latino uh, growing up, Cuban parents, Spanish parents, the first thing they do, they put a bat and glove on in your hand, right? You got to play baseball. Well, I was that kid in right field throwing the glove up in the air and uh, not paying much attention. I fell in love with the game. Uh, I was I was an average high school basketball player. So uh, I always saw the game from a different uh, perspective. And what, what attracted me was the opportunity opportunity to uh and the dream to coaching college so I was a student assistant at Miami-Dade Community College for three years um while I was going to school at uh, Florida International University getting my physical education um degree uh Hurricane Andrew hit in 1992 and then uh, um, from Miami-Dade I went to go coach high school basketball for two years on the boys side and then I went back to Barry as an assistant uh men's basketball coach. I had already graduated from FIU and an opportunity arose to uh, take a high school coaching job on the girls side. Um, I didn't play basketball in college, so it, it was very tough to get your foot in the door. And I had worked uh, every imaginable camp, Metro Index, Blue Chip, Kentucky, Western Kentucky, Michigan State. I'd get in my car, which people don't do anymore, the first week of June, come back the last week of August, work 12 straight weeks of basketball camp and um, have a bunch of speeding tickets and you were in debt because uh, the young guys had to had to foot the bill bill for the older guys. But no, uh, and, you know, after I, I took the job at Lourdes Academy for three years and started a travel basketball team in, in Miami uh, as well. And I went back to Barry University and, you know, I got a phone call. Uh, I still remember in in. February 
from the head coach here at, at South Florida about um, her restructuring her staff and um, knew of knew of my connections in the Miami in the Miami uh, area and my experience coaching at Lords Academy and at Barry and uh, I went the next day and interviewed with her and she offered me the job and I was hired as recruiting coordinator I started in April and um, about what was it six seven months later I was named interim head coach I I was uh, what 27 28 at the time probably the youngest head coach in the country so I got a great opportunity Um, of course everybody thinks that they're ready I was not ready to be a head coach I thought uh, there was so much outside of of just running a practice, uh, putting together a playbook, uh, player and coaches manual, scouting of opponents, breaking down film. You know, that's the funnest part of my job. You know, people don't understand that's that, that's a really small percentage of what we do on a daily day to day basis. So, uh, you know, now fast forward. To 24 years I think we we got one of the best programs in the country we've been in every top 25 poll the last 10 years and been to the NCAA tournament tournament eight out of the last 10 or 11 so uh it was a great journey those first three years were very difficult we went, went from four to 14 to seven and then year four NIT year five NIT and then year six NCAA tournament bid so um city of Tampa and the University of South Florida has been great to um to me and my family. And it was, it was an incredible opportunity to um, start the program and, and, and uh, see the success because before we took over, I believe the school record for wins was 16 in, in one season and they had never been to postseason play. You know, now you look, you walk into our practice facility or into the Yingling center and, you have 19 banners up there and there'd be another one up there if it wasn't for COVID. So uh, we've been very, very successful. I think because I've had incredible assistant coaches and staff members that have worked for me. Um, And I think we've done a really, really good job recruiting the type of student athletes that have fit into our system uh, and program. So on your journey, you know, you you were you were in Florida, right? You've you've been in Florida your your entire career. Um, I guess I'm kind of wondering, um, you know, was that something you kind of consciously did and you wanted to stay, or just how how it worked out? And and you know, kind of why was it important? You, I mean, obviously you grew up there, and you, you know, you you got your start there. But you know, when you look at coaching paths, right, they go here, there, everywhere, right before right. you get there. And then uh, maybe some like insight into Florida basketball. What's unique about Florida basketball at all levels? Well, uh, now don't get me wrong. In the last 23 years, there's been a lot of opportunities for me to leave South Florida. Um, but number one, it's, I live in, I live where people, I tell people all the time, I live somewhere where people come to vacation, Right. I, uh, I love the outdoors. I don't like the cold weather unless I go skiing for three days and I'm in and out. But uh, I lived here in Florida my entire life. And I think when you build a program and you have so much investment in it and you're winning, right? And I have a, 
I have a practice facility. We we have a football five budget. Uh, we charter everywhere. Um, so uh, there hasn't been a reason for me to go ahead and get up. And uh, there's a reason why ADs and presidents make changes, right? To a program or, or, or university, they're not winning. They're not successful in their league, right? And it, it just from a, it, this when I took this job, I was going, okay, I'm going to take this job, go to South Florida, be an assistant coach, you know, recruit my tail off, tail off develop, and then I'm going to get, I'm going to get a better job, right? Well, when I, when I got the job, I turned it into my dream job, right? A lot of people, you know, they don't have their two feet in and they're look, always looking at the next place. Now, Again, I've worked with some pretty good athletic directors and presidents that have really supported our vision and my program. And I get compensated, my staff and I get compensated pretty good as a football five, power five program. So there hasn't, you know, you always look at, you always look at some universities they call and they call my agent and you, I have it better here than at a power five place budget wise and and salary wise and resource wise so there hasn't been a reason for me to look elsewhere because i think when you mentioned south florida a lot of people don't want to play us it's very hard to schedule right it's hard to schedule home and home games we got to play five six games in, on neutral sites and, and i get that but um i've coached in three different leagues here conference usa big east and the american and I think anyone, anyone that, that you ask about our program, they'll tell you we do a great job player development. We're tough to guard. Uh, defensively, we play a little different than everybody else. Uh, we've had a lot of kids drafted in the WNBA draft. Uh, I have 19 former players currently playing overseas. Uh, five, six assistant coaches that, that, that were former assistants that are head coaches now. Uh, so I think we've developed a uh, pretty good program in, in the time that we've been here, and we're going to continue to do so. So we wanted to kind of talk to you about that, that first opportunity at Miami-Dade Community College as a student assistant. You know, I think a student assistant, you know, for a lot of our listeners, they may not know what a student assistant does. Um, so it just kind of, if you could take us through it, I think this is very unique um, for this episode, you know, kind of what were your roles as a student assistant and how did maybe that opportunity kind of springboard you or really help you find your passion? Like, Hey, this is what I'm meant to be doing. Well, it's a glorified title for manager and equipment manager and athletic trainer. So at the junior college level, you have probably a part-time assistant and now if you're at a really good junior college, they have the budget to hire somebody full time. Well, I tell this to young coaches all the time. When you're trying to get into the business, I was fortunate to coach in high school, boys and girls, junior college, men, division two, men and women. Right. With not a lot of staff, not a lot of funding. But the one thing that you learn when you're at that I learned at Miami-Dade as a manager, packing the uniforms, equipment ordering, taping ankles, washing laundry, right? Uh, 
I was able to get in my car and drive two, three hours to scout a game at 17 years old and come back. I was there the next day and I'd give it to my head coach, right? Because he taught classes at the junior college. The assistant coach was a high school teacher. Well, I was just in, I was just taking classes at a junior college, right? Um, so I got it. I got an unbelievable opportunity to get my hands on everything, uh, recruiting, scouting, player development, um, manager roles, operations, um, sports medicine, athletic training. You know, we didn't travel with a trainer. I had to take a class to learn how to tape ankles and everything else. So, uh, and same thing at the division two level. You, 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 you get a, you, you get a, you get your hands on everything and learn a lot of kids come out of college and they want to get, they want to be an assistant coach and make 90, hundred thousand with no experience and their only experience. Well, I played college basketball, you know? So, um, it's different now back then, um, individual camps and team camps were more relevant. Um, the summer landscape of recruiting is now a lot different. So I'm very thankful that, I was put in those positions and was able to get all that experience at a young age. So you talked about your, your first season, right? At South Florida, you get it. And you're like, uh, yeah, I don't know if I really know what I'm doing here, but you know, I mean, you were working on it, but I think everybody that's taken over for the first time has that kind of, Oh man, I didn't know about this and this and this. And now you kind of fast forward, you're, you're 27 and seven last year. Uh, but how did you, you know, start developing your own philosophies and, and your, your concepts, um, you know, kind of learning about yourself as, as a coach in, in those early years to kind of make it what it is now? Well, I think when you take over a job, right. Um, you're taking over that job for a reason, right? And the kids that you inherit, right? You chose them. They didn't chose, you chose them. They didn't choose you. So I think you really have to look at what you have. Uh, and it's going to probably change the way that you want to play because you can come in and play a certain way and you don't have the personnel to play the way that you want to play. Right. And I think I made that mistake my first couple of years because, uh, I wasn't patient enough to take the time and recruit uh, the way that I wanted to play. Um, but outside of that, it's man, it's, you know, dealing with your sport administrator, with your athletic director, your strength coach, your, your trainer, uh, your academic people, your, your mentoring uh, people, managing a budget, right? Uh, then you got to manage your managers, your male scrimmage team, your video, your ops, your, administrative assistant, your graduate assistants, and then your full-time assistants, right? Uh, and hiring hiring the right people uh, along the way that have the same uh, beliefs and, and, and energy level and, and, and culture belief that you have. So, yeah, those first couple of years were rough, but uh, I was thankful that the administration believed in, in what we were doing. Uh, and they were they were patient with a young coach, uh, and sometimes some administrations aren't very aren't very patient. You know, I see a lot of a lot of coaches getting uh, look what happens in football now. You, you don't win in two years, you're losing your job, and it's really tough because you're inheriting a bunch of players. But now 
I think the transfer portal changes a lot of things and NILs changed a lot of things, but um, I'm very thankful that, that, that uh, people in that in, at South Florida uh, were patient because, you know, year four and five were postseason, and then year six NCAA tournament. You know, I, just as a follow-up, because we ask a lot of our guests this and we often get a similar answer, but you know, the, those first couple of years when you were building it up and, you, you know, you're a very young college coach. And, um, you know, I, I recently read a book about kind of that imposter syndrome you have as, as a young coach. I know at least I had it. I know sometimes when we ask our guests, they're like, oh, yes. You know, those first couple of years, did you ever did you ever have those quiet moments by yourself where you were like, man, am I am, am, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I doing this right? Am I messing this up? No, I always knew I always knew that what I wanted to do, you know. Um, uh, again, uh, it was all the other things I don't think I was worried worried uh, was uh, ready for. Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes too, you know, you want to win so quickly and turn things around. Sometimes you recruit the wrong people into their program, and I say it all the time. Sometimes, you know, take a little bit more look into character instead of characters. And we went from four to 14 in one year and five freshmen played that second year. And I took, I think, I believe we took like three transfers and went into the Juco route to help us. And that didn't help us very much. Um, so it's very important. You know, sometimes you got to be a little bit more patient and run, run your race um, because and ignore, I know everybody talks about it. We live in that microwave society. Everybody wants to win now. Everyone, everybody wants it now. But if you're patient and do it the right way um, and recruit the right way and player develop the right way, um, hire the right way, um, you got to do everything else, of course, and practice and coach and have a good offensive and defensive philosophy and do a great job uh, preparing. But uh, recruiting the right people is very, very important. There's a lot of good coaches that don't have jobs right now because they didn't recruit the right way, right? They could sit down and, you know, talk hoops and draw up 250 plays and 500 drills, and they don't have a job because uh, either they didn't have a very good staff or they didn't – the players they recruited didn't help them win. Um, it, it, it's there's, – there's a lot of – there's a lot of different – different ways to get things done. So before we move on to the, the halftime adjustments in the second time, the second half of the episode, um, we wanted to just touch on um, the Latino Association of Basketball Coaches. This is something, to be quite honest, in our over 100 episodes, we've never discussed with a list, uh, with a guest. So if you could just give our, our listeners a little bit of background on the Latino Association of Basketball Coaches, maybe your involvement, um, and, and just kind of maybe educate our listeners a little bit. Well, when you when you when you've been doing it so long, uh, the more that you can give back to our game to help the future our, of our game, um, the women's. I'll start with the women's basketball coaches association, right? Um, uh, I've been thankful and blessed that uh, I serve as the vice president. Uh, of the WBCA, so and serve on the executive board and also the stewardship committee. Uh, I've chaired the 
all America committee for a long time. And I just, uh, uh, stand by the side at the, at the convention to assist Mike neighbors, the head coach from Arkansas, um, presented at round tables on court presentations, clinics. Uh, so the more that you can, that, that coaches can give back, um, and, and serving our coaching community, the better. Uh, I came up, you know, I was, uh, Frank Martin and I, uh, we were physical education majors at Miami Dade and at Florida International. So we just spoke down at Miami Beach and it was good because the last time we spoke was in Peru and we did a three, a three day clinic, just him and I in Spanish. So just imagine that. And also imagine big Frank Martin doing forward rolls in a gymnastic class, right? And uh, I could go on and on uh, stories, but, you know, Frank talked to me about the LABC on the men's side, and then it got started on the women's side about three years ago. And I, I was contacted, and uh, I said, hey, anything I can do to be involved, let me know. And um, I spoke at the Final Four last year. Um, I One of my assistant coaches uh, got the head job at South Alabama, and I met a young lady where I was speaking. I had conducted eight, nine interviews at the Final Four. I met her at the LABC, and I ended up hiring her as, as an assistant coach. So um, it's a great organization. The, the more that we can provide opportunities for Latino coaches and, and mentor Latino coaches that want to get into college basketball, uh, I think Jason, they, they've done an uh, they've done an amazing job with the organization. It started on the men's side, and now it's gone over to the women, and I believe it's over three hundred plus members. So I think it's something that's going to continue to grow, not only here in the United States but worldwide. So we call this halftime adjustments. Uh, kind of the halfway point before we kind of switch to our zone offense stuff. But I wanted to talk to you about. Right, this is that that kind of weird time of year, right? You're in the preseason. You've been working. You you got your your you know whoever graduated transfer or whatever it may be, and you got your new group in. So you have these ideas of I I think this is what we can be, right? Yeah. Um, so how do you go through that process of uh, kind of trying to figure that out, making that transition from okay, we lost this, we we gained this and maybe different skill sets and all that and kind of blending it to get ready for your season. Cause like you said, you got a target on your back, right? You guys, you guys are known. Everybody knows who you are. Todd, I spoke about this. I, I just, we had our media day a couple of days ago in Dallas, right? And they talked about, okay, you won 27 games last year. Uh, but yeah, we won 27 games last year, but we had to replace four starters. So we found a way. Now I got to replace two seniors that went in the WNBA draft in the second round. So we returned three starters, but we lost two guys that were pretty good. Um, okay. How are we going to do that? Uh, you know, we brought in two kids in the transfer portal uh, that I think are going to be uh, an immediate impact. Um, we had a young lady that hit 110 threes, probably one of the best two guards in the country. She returns. I return our starting four and our point guard, our backup point guard, our backup four. Some of the freshman kids that didn't play last year are going to get a great opportunity. They were good players, but they, had, they were playing behind some really, really good guys. I use Courtney Williams, for example. When she was here, she didn't start for us to the middle of her sophomore year. Everybody said, man, you crazy. Courtney was first-round draft choice. Right. I go, yeah, 
but she was playing behind two two WNBA draft picks and Andrea Smith and Ingor Coe, you know. Yeah. And then we brought uh, Kit Yaloxa, who was another WNBA draft pick to play alongside of Courtney. I think you got to be really, really strategic now and prepare, prepare for the future. We got a board, okay, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28. What, what our needs are, uh, Do can we take a freshman? Do we have to bring an immediate impact? You know, another kid that'll help us out. We signed a junior college All-American post player. So I think we'll be fine. I definitely think we're an NCAA tournament team. Uh, we'll contend for another conference championship. Uh, but the things that you can't control, right? Uh, injuries, right? We, I, I, I feel good about our team. We got a lot of depth. I think we recruited the right way. Um, so we will see. I think it's going to be a fun year. Yeah, it becomes more difficult now, right? But there's so many moving pieces a lot of times and things available. You got to kind of figure out which route, which route you want to go. It's a diff definitely a different landscape. Yeah, it's totally different landscape because you really got to take a look at the, your depth at every position, right? And how far along, how far along the young kid is, or if they're not coming far along, you got to go into that portal and get, get some experience, right? Or you need to get better at a certain position. You go in the portal, then you really got to investigate, you know, why, why that kid's going in the portal in the first place. Is a playing time system. Uh, she was playing behind somebody or was she unhappy? Was she coachable? You know, uh, what type of problems does she bring? So you, you really, really got to do your due diligence. So as we get into the second half of the episode, we really have not focused with any guests on zone offense specifically. And um, when, when we've spoken to other coaches, you know, they have kind of praised your zone offensive concepts um, and philosophy. I know Coach Woods from Denver has been one of them. Um, so the the first thing, let's just start from the bottom. You know, you're you're looking at zone offense as a whole, um, and you're going through and kind of deciding like your your principles, your philosophy, your concepts for your team, and and kind of how do you put those together and and kind of start to develop what you want to do against a zone defense. Well. Primarily, we see two, three, and three, two, right? Mm -hmm. How much zone do we see? Uh, you know, I, I think we run a lot of quick hitters and a lot of sets. So I think some people play us in a zone just to keep us off of rhythm. I, I think the first thing that you really got to, as a coach, you got to really determine and your players got to know, okay, what their role is. At our place, not everybody, it's not an equal opportunity offense, okay? So, uh, Kelvin Sampson said this, what, two, three years ago, I'm not going to give a bad shooter confidence. Mm -hmm. Well, we're not going to let a bad shooter shoot, <laughs> right? Their job is to get in gaps, maybe screen, be the ball reversal guy, be the extra pass guy, be the screener. So, I think whenever, whatever zone offense you're going to run, you know, we have a basic zone offense, but I like to run a lot of different actions. The ball's up top. I like it. I like to get it to either elbow from the top because now it brings bottom forwards up. When you bring your bottom forwards up, you know, either corner, you got good shooters. You got to put them in good positions. 
Now, whatever offense you run, zone offense or man, I think you got to incorporate the shots that they're going to take in games in all your player development stuff. And I think we do a lot, a lot of that. Uh, besides our practice, every one of our kids, we do three, three, three individual workouts with every one of our kids each week. Right. So we take an hour and a half, 30 minutes a kid, you know, our practice gets cut down because you got weights, player meetings, film. So I, I also think you got to have different ways to attack different zones, right? Getting it to the elbows, getting it to the nail, balls on the side. I like to overload zones. I like to set screens on the wing, you know, bring in false action, and then come back to the same side, misdirection-wise, getting the ball to, uh, to corners. So I, I think, you know, like attacking it from the top, attacking with, with, with some on-ball screen action, uh, attacking it from the top down, screening the back of the zone, uh, flaring, uh, setting uh, flares and fades. Uh, uh, on Because a lot of guards, they lose sight of who's on the other side and bottom forwards, right? If you're in a 2-3, those guards got to kick down the bottom forwards. Well, they don't kick the bottom forwards in, town, in time. You're going to get a shot in the – you can get the ball to the short corner and then a short corner skip. You got to good zone offense teams are really good passing teams. So you got to really pass the ball really well and get the ball to, you know, if we had it, we, if we had a whiteboard right now, I could draw you up probably 15, 20 things that we do against the zone, but you can run the best stuff, but that ball doesn't go in. You're not going to zones can take you out of it. Cause what's zones. What do they want you to do? Shoot, shoot, uh, make you shoot uh, over them and limit the limit you to one shot and out. And also, no paint touches, right? Zones, don't let the ball in the paint. Keep people in front of you. Make them shoot over you. And then make sure every shot that, that the opposing team takes is a contested one. And then everybody block out. So that's what zones want to do. Um, we don't see much 1-3-1. One, one. We keep it. Well, if you see 1-3-1, one, one, we like the diagonal pass, right? From, uh, from the long elbow to the opposite corner or from the corner to the long elbow for three. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty yeah, – if we were on the court, I had five guys to, to move around and, and a whiteboard to show you some stuff. But, you know, here's the thing. Put it on the pop. We I share everything. I just spoke uh, – Brendan Sir, who does coaching you, he does an unbelievable job. I just spoke at a clinic maybe about three weeks ago, and he asked me to talk about zone offense. That's the only other time. So apparently, I don't know. People think I do a good job of showing offense. That's a good thing. Well, we, you know what? If you got good shot makers not, and not shot takers, your zone offense is going to look pretty good. <laughs> and it, just an interesting follow-up. You know, you kind of talked about how you, you see a lot of 2-3 three and 3-2. Three, Why don't you think more people play 1-3-1? One, one? I feel like, uh, you know, there's not a ton of time spent at, at you know, I've been a high school coach and a, and a college assistant, but just in my experience, there's not a ton, a ton of time spent on what people do against the one, three, one. Why don't you think more people don't try some one, three, one, even if it's out of a dead ball timeout, et cetera. I think lack of length, probably, you know, because I think in a one, three, one, it's so much spaced out and those got, you know, that the bottom, the bottom two, the bottom two wings got to cover, they got to cover that backside block, right? Have to. You know, when the ball gets reversed, they got to cover that backside block because the bottom person, their responsibility at the nail, the big guy at the nail has got the nail, the block, and the block, right? So those two wings, 
you know, have to recover to that backside block. And I think if you don't have length on your wings and really have a good guy up top that can disrupt, right? Because that's, that's one thing the 131 wants to do. Are you going to trap it at the top? Or are you going to trap it in the corner? Or are you just going to play a basic 131 and, and hope the other team doesn't do a good job passing and skipping the ball around the horn? Um, so, uh, like you're looking at your zones, right? Um, I'm going to kind of combine two things here. Um, and you know, a team's going to run a zone. So kind of where do you start? Like, okay, what do you, what are you kind of looking at of key points? Cause every zone's a little bit different. Maybe they add a wrinkle to it. Maybe they trap out of it. And then are you doing something different for odd fronts or even fronts changing your shape of your offense, whatever it may be? Yeah, without a doubt, you, you know, we're going to attack things differently depending on there's people that play a one, one, three, and it turns into a two, three, right? So again, we have the ability to, to do so much film work, right? Cause all our games are on TV. So game preparation will tweak a lot of our stuff rather than entering, starting our zone offense with a pass or with a shallow cut, a dribble entry into our zone offense. And then that action or uh, a handoff into a ball screen, lift, and then the guy that set the screen, screens the bottom of the zone, and then as the ball's going this way. I got about a lot of European players, so they have great vision handling the ball, and, you know, we could bring it this way, but though, you know, they practice, their player development over there is just amazing. So the ball could be going one way, and we're firing it the other way just because they've had those years of, of, of practicing those passes and being taught how to play without the ball. You know, even, of course, you know, the, your, your three guards up top against the two, three, playing on a string, right? Uh, punching gaps, sliding. You got to practice those shots, shots that you're going to get in the zone, that ball reversal shoot, shot pocket, and also sliding it. You're sliding in the past comes, practicing sliding to get into your shot. So, uh, yeah, it, 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 I think it goes with, you got your basic package, you know what you want to run. You got a ton of stuff to run. What's going to work against that certain team and what adjustments are you going to make? You know, is it, you know, a point zone, a three, two, uh, middle down that, that guy that uh, it shows three, two, but it's really a, a, a two, a two, three, because that guy's dropping down. Uh, a one-one-three that turns into a two-three, um, a two uh, a two-three that they're going to trap the first pass right and deny the reversal and take the corner away and leave the furthest guy away from the basket open. So I, I think the more that you can prepare and prepare your kids for those looks, the better that you're going to be able to adjust to those in a game. You know, and I found whether whether you're in a two-three, you're in a three-two, you're in a one-three-one. Whenever the ball's in the corner, any zone that, you, that you're that you going up against turns into a 2-3 zone. Really think about it. Drop 2-3-3-2-1-3-1. Drop three, three, ball's in the dead corner. It's a 2-3 zone. So we've adjusted from, from, from there. Uh, now, again, how are you going to get your post players involved? Because you get on your guards. Those guards want to go and shoot and, and, and dribble. And they got to wait for short corner occupied, high post seal. The more that you can get guys involved, now that zone 
is in a gray area. You you, you want to play. You you, you want to have a, a good zone offense. Also makes you know that zone defense. Uh, one guy have to guard two, and make a decision. An, an interesting follow-up. Todd and I talk about this all the time. I mean, if you look now between Coach Tube and and all these different websites and Twitter and Instagram, and there's so much out there. How do you kind of go about kind of paring it down to be like these are the thing, these are the concepts we're going to do. These are the concepts that work for us. Like, how do you kind of go about like simplifying it? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff that I like out there, right? That, that you know, I went to FIBA 16s, 18s, 20, FIBA 19s. I went to FIBA Eurobasket. And, I, you know, and I watched all the FIBA World Cup for the men. There's a lot of stuff that I like, but it doesn't fit my personnel, right? Uh, now the big thing is a lot of the NBA teams run that gut action with a middle middle ball screen, and then uh, uh, a back screen. Well, I don't have a point guard that can really attack off a gut screen and now a, a, a big that you're going to throw it up there and she's going to do it. Now, there's some different concepts. You can put your wing on there. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks do a good job with gut. But, you know, there's so many different things out there, Spain and Ricky and everything else. It, it's got to fit to your personnel because there's a lot of things I, I like and I, you know, maybe out of a timeout or play with it in practice and see if it works. Right. But there's a lot of really great, like you said, there's a really a lot of great things out there, but you got to find the things that fit to your personnel. I've seen, you know, I've seen some teams that got five all Americans and they're, they don't have a, they don't have a, a four that can pass and they're running chin action. Well, chin doesn't fit your personnel. You know, run ice lows, run side pick and roll, you know, run nail action, run some zipper. But sometimes some and some some people, you know, square peg, round hole. And uh, you got to you got to really find what fits and you got to recruit to what fits and you got to practice what fits and you got to player develop what fits. So the just the last kind of question on this topic before we move into our last two questions is, you know, Todd and I are always interested to find out from people, you know, how are you assessing your success of whatever you're doing? So for you in this topic, you know, how are you uh, assessing your success of your zone offense? Obviously, outside of did you win the game and did you score so and so many points? What are maybe the the keys or the or things you're looking for against a zone to know like, hey, we might have missed that shot, but it was a shot we wanted. Right. Kind of how are you assessing your success? Well, shot selection, number one, are we getting the shot we want? Right. Uh for us, we're we're a gap team. We don't turn people over, right? So how are, we gotta be great from the free throw line. We have to stay underneath 13 turnovers a game. And we have to out-rebound the hell out of the other team. So, zone offense, are we getting the shot we want? Right, number one. We're okay. Are they, were they adjusting? Have we adjusted to what they're doing, right, from what we're seeing live out of timeouts? What have we fixed? 
you know, can we have, are we getting the ball to the short corner? Are we getting the ball to the elbow? Right. Um, then how many shots did we take against the zone and how many offensive rebounds did we get out of it? Right. Because we send four to the glass. How many second shots are we getting against it? So if we're not, we're not making shots against the zone, we got to get second and third opportunities. But again, there's a lot of teams. There's a lot of bad teams that don't make shots and get a ton of offensive rebounds because they miss so many shots. Well, if you don't convert on offensive rebounds, you don't have a good, good offensive rebound conversion. doesn't matter how many offensive rebounds you get. So I think those are the biggest things. Do we got the right people shooting the ball? Do we got was, – was it a good shot? Just didn't go in. What adjustments can we make? And then do we got four guys in the paint going to assault the glass? That's what we talked about. Go assault the glass. So as we move into our last two segments, um, the first one we call 30-second timeout. Um, it's your chance to talk about whatever you know subject you'd like to discuss. It can be about yourself, your family, uh, your spouse, your program, something you want your our listeners to know about. Um, quite often people will turn the tables and ask Todd and I a question, um, as we like to joke with all of our guests, I, I promise there's no official in your 30 second timeout telling you, you're, uh, you gotta get out. You gotta get out. Um, it's a very loose 30 seconds. So it's kind of just your platform for whatever you feel you want to use it for. Perfect. Well, you guys know, I, I don't like the cold weather. Um, I like to fish, live on a lake. I'm a big bourbon collector. I love red wine. I like cigars. We have six rescue dogs. Uh, my wife loves to shop and spend money. Uh, we have five daughters. Let's see. And you know what? The most rewarding thing that people ask me about coaching is just seeing, developing the relationship when you start to recruit them their sophomore year, you coach them for four years, and then their success after they leave the university and then the continued relationship that you have with your former players after they leave. That's for me, that's the most rewarding part, right? Uh, we've won a ton of games, but what makes me happy is the people that I work with every day, the, and the players that we've recruited and then life after basketball at USF. Well, Todd, I, I figured out why he likes bourbon and wine and cigars because he has five daughters. <laughs> right. He's, he's outnumbered by, by a large amount, right? So, uh, Coach, we call this last one, Quick Hitters. Uh, just kind of random questions. It kind of sometimes okay. goes off the rails. Uh, I don't know. What's the best animal you've seen in person in Florida? Like a giant gator or whatever. I don't know. What, what do you got down there? Man, I've seen everything. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Gators, gators, you got alligators, you got crocodiles, because freshwater, saltwater. I've seen every type of shark. I've swam with sharks. Uh, you know, we got a bobcat running around the neighborhood. I see him. Uh, let's see. Uh, I've seen a bear before. Uh, yeah, there's not much I haven't seen. Yeah, there you go. Got some snakes probably, you know, maybe. Oh, snakes. Yeah, man, those are fun. Those The poisonous one, those, those are fun. I, I can't. You know, I live in a neighborhood, so I can't fire my fire, firearm or my shotgun <laughs> at snakes. But, you know, they get a good shovel or a machete uh, 
the poison okay. ones we take care of. The other, but the other ones that just take, you know, they just uh, take care of the insects and they're harmless. We don't, we don't mess with those. I, I, you know, we all have the coaches we've learned a lot from. Is there any coach out there that you'd like to learn from? Any coach that you're like, I mean, I really like what so and so does. It could be a high school coach, a college coach, a pro coach. Well, I tell people all the time. Uh, Kevin Eastman says this all the time, and it resonated with me. I think that really successful, whether you're a coach, a CEO, a businessman, or a businesswoman, is continuing to be a lifelong learner. You know, I really pride in the off season to go as many training camps and clinics as I can. Um, but uh, I, mean, I watch NBA, WNBA. NBA uh, training camps, college coaches. Um, so FIBA, the game has grown globally. Um, the the other thing, Lucas Jaden writes about this in his book. He's our he's, he um, co-wrote the book Win in the Dark and Pound the Stone with Joshua Metcalf, and he wrote Twin Thieves. Uh, he's got a chapter in there uh, talking about the white belt mentality, right? Uh, continue to live, live your life like you got a white belt and you're learning every day. All right. What do you miss about back in your days of being an assistant? What was one of your favorite things about the be, being an assistant? Maybe that, that you like, you really liked. Oh man. Uh, just having a great game plan and a great scouting report, right. To have my boss ready for, you know, for shoot around and, for him or her to, to coach, just coach the game and not worry about, you know, the preparation. I think uh, uh, assistant coaches, when they got a scout, man, that's their baby, right? They want to do a great job with it. They, they, they want to make sure they don't screw up on personnel and <laughs> in the three film sessions and in the walkthrough, right? And then the other thing is, uh, you know, assistant coaches really, you know, they take pride in recruiting a kid, right? Still remember the first kid I ever signed. Ended up being a Division II All-American. Cliff Dubois, I still talk to him. Little kid from Jupiter, Florida. Had a great career at Barry University. So you always remember the first one you signed. All right, so you're sitting down and you want a snack. Are you going for something sweet or something salty? I can go both ways. I love, you know what? Uh, I love popcorn. I love pretzels. I love peanuts. But it all depends on the mood I'm in. I tell you what, you throw me in one of those candy stores at the airport or anywhere outside, I'm spending 40 bucks. Gummy bears, gummy worms, gummy lizards, gummy snakes, uh, nerds, gobstoppers. Yeah, that's me. That's awesome. Uh, so one piece of advice you would give for a first-year head coach, somebody just got their, got their own, own program, they're trying to figure out their way, find their way. Don't forget where you came from, number one, why you got the job. Don't hire friends. Hire the people that are going to help you be successful every day, right? Hire people that are going to work hard, be loyal, have your back. Uh, embrace embrace the kids that are there, right? And, of course, they got to adjust to team rules and how you do things and everything like that. Uh, try not to fight everything in the swamp. Right. 
I tell my guys all the time, sometimes all these little things, and I go, uh, Gino told me this one time, you can't you can't fight every gator in the swamp. I tell my, my guys all the time, my assistants and my support staff, what does that have to do with winning? It doesn't have to do a lot with winning. Shouldn't be taking up a lot of your time. That's those are all really good. And and we had to work in a, a swamp. I mean, you're you live in Florida. We're, if we steal that job, we're gonna have to change it. We don't have too many swamps up in these parts, so we have to change it to something like that. I don't know. In, the, in the blizzard, I don't know. Yeah, they're right in the blizzard. Um, all right, last one. If Get- I was in Tampa Bay, I should go to blank. Well, what are you looking for? Food or entertainment? Sure. Let's, or let's, let's talk about let's talk about food. I'm a huge foodie, so my players will tell you every city that we go to, we go to. We I don't like to eat at the hotel unless it's pregame meal. We go to we go to the best restaurant in town. So, I tell you, uh, if you want a good steak, Council Oak Steakhouse at the casino. Uh, if you want Spanish cuisine, there's a restaurant by the name of Colum- the Columbia Restaurant. It's opened in 1905 in Ybor City. If you want some good Italian food, Casa Santo Stefano. Italian restaurant. Uh, Richard Gonsmart, I got to give him a plug. He's a big donor and a personal friend. We've been to, we've gone to Spain three times together, but uh, his restaurant group is is outstanding. Um, Clearwater Beach, one of the best beaches in the entire country. Uh, Forty five minutes uh, down south, you got Siesta Key, but uh, we have. The whole the the whole downtown area has ju- has just revitalized. I think the Tampa Bay area uh, too. It's uh, we got our medical schools down there. You got the Tampa Bay Lightning and Emily Arena. You got Channel Side District. It's uh, it's not like I said. People come here to vacation, and I get to live here. Well, coach, we can't thank you enough for joining us this evening. Um, you know, we're excited to get the season going and watch you guys watch you guys play see some some of your big games on, on tv and um you know kind of see some of the things you're talking about it and study so we can't uh appreciate it enough and uh great good luck this season thank you guys and thank you for having me Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast in partnership with the IBCA. Please be sure to rate us on whatever platform you are listening and give us a five-star rating. For more show content and updates, please follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout. As always, thank you for listening. Tune in next time for more content on the court, off the court, and anything in between.